The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. All right. You're introducing this oh, time. Oh, I'm introducing? Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Trying to, I'm, like, I'm, I'm trying to work you up. I did the last so one. You're... And I did the 36 prior to that. Yeah. yeah. So you could do the next 36 <laughs> before I do another one. We need to renegotiate. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just going to build a wall. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you got that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, awkwardness follows the podcast too. So, yeah. Okay. Um, we have today. Oh, wait. Welcome back. Whatever. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking to somebody that's randomly out there. And sometimes I forget that people might be paying attention. And then I forget to introduce the guest, but I'm not going to forget today. Fair enough. So, we have today with us, with us today, we'll learn to speak English one day. Tiffany Sparrow Grace. And I only know that because I had to do the obligatory creep out your Facebook page. Facebook, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and to see a picture of you sitting on the grass playing in front of what in the small picture looked like was a big thing filled with animal bones. But then when you zoom in, it's really not. AKA an altar, but yeah. Yes, an altar. See, English, working on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of interesting how people's names come from their Facebook names. I get introduced by my Facebook name more often than not, but yep. I would imagine. Tiffany so what, Sparrow, sure. Some people call me Sparrow, some people call me Tiffany, so Tiffany Sparrow is great. So what is, okay. Let's, let's just clarify this <laughs> so that maybe somewhere we'll get it right. What is, what is your actual name? Is um, it your Facebook name? Yeah. Well, Tiffany and Sparrow are, are my names, but Grace, okay. Sparrow Grace um, comes from my music company, Sparrow Grace Music. Oh, okay. So I've kind of put the grace in there so people know it's me. Right. Uh, and that's sparrowgrace.ca? Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Um, and Sparrow is actually your last name? Um, no, it's a it's nickname and mm-hmm. like a given gotcha. name, nickname. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's just start right there. Let's learn a little bit about you. What is Sparrow Grace? Ooh. <laughs> we prepared well, you for other things. <laughs> I'm here to talk about a certain thing. <laughs> um, okay. okay. I'm a musician. I'm a, a singer songwriter. And, um, the thing that you saw in the picture in front of the altar was a uh, Kirtana p- performance, which is a yogic practice of music, okay. of group singing and call response. So I do that. Nice. And I'm also a music therapist. Mm-hmm. So Sparrow Grace Music encompasses mainly those three musical endeavors. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
The third one you mentioned, the music therapy, mm-hmm. is the reason we brought you in today. Yes. Um, so I assume you, that's not where you started. I imagine, I imagine going back to where you s- discovered music, that it was more about the singing and the songwriting and the, mm-hmm. the love of music. How did, how did music turn into music therapy? Hmm. Well, I'm lucky. Um, I come from a family that is quite musical, um, Per, you know, perhaps un, like untrained. I say that with quotation marks, but my, you know, it was the kind of family that often when my uncle came to town, you know, we'd, we'd, he'd bust out the guitar and that's how we would spend our evenings. And my mom was right. very active musically. And so it was always kind of around me. Um, and I ended up going into uh, music performance at the University of Alberta. And at the same time was becoming very interested in things like psychology and just the way my own brain worked and the way my own um, exploration around my mind and my emotions and my spirituality was working and started taking yoga. And so it was right around that time that actually this um, book called The Mozart Effect kind of came out. It was sort of around that time. And my mom actually discovered The Mozart Effect and started talking to me about it and this whole idea that music can have an influence on our on our mind, our emotions and our spirit. And, um, so then I just happened to come across this, this profession called music therapy and happened to not even actually meet in person, but spoke on the phone to a woman from Edmonton who had gone through this training program and just kind of, it, something sort of went ding. Awesome. Yeah. It just sort of felt like, oh yeah, this feels like more, of the path that I want to take the idea that, that music can, it's definitely entertaining. It's definitely about performing, but it can be more than just entertainment and more than just performance. And it can actually check effect change in different ways for people. Right. Yeah. Cool. I definitely want to dive into the details of that because mm-hmm. we are, we're a, a music and audio geek out podcast. Okay. And we might dive into more of the geeking out about it, about the technical side of stuff later too. But um, how deep can you go without giving us an educate like the like a school education? <laughs> what is music therapy? And I, I, I know you you, you kind of quickly summarized it there, mm-hmm. but I I want to know deeper, mm-hmm. like like what is. Uh, is it, is it, is it like patient consultation and then goal setting and then regular appointments? Is it, is it more, or is, is it less stress or less structured? Um, is, uh, what kind of, what kind of technical aspects do you, do you pay attention to? What kind of responses are you expecting out of clients? Or is it something that's as simple as as I just tried to make it seem. Hmm. So the standard (laughs) answer (laughs) that most music therapists will probably say when people ask them, what is music therapy is depends. (laughs) You know what? You know what? The two of us understand that answer so well. (laughs) (laughs) Right. However, however, there, there is, there are many definitions of music therapy and, um, I won't quote you a definition necessarily, but it's essentially um, intentional use of music 
and musical elements like, you know, rhythm, melody, tempo, volume, all those like in, because we can use them in these elements individually um, to effect change that is non-musical. So change okay. that is physical, change that is mental, change that is emotional, spiritual. Right. So, yeah, we're definitely looking at, often I'm, I am setting goals, um, sometimes formally, sometimes not, because the setting that I work in most often is hospital setting. So sometimes I only see a person once. So I'm not spending tons of time in assessment and then goal setting and that kind of thing. Right. It's, it's happening a little more informally, more kind of in my head in the moment. But if I had more time, I would do that kind of thing. Gotcha. So yeah, it's using music to, um, for non-musical goals. What could, what could those goals be? The typical domains are, yeah, um, physical. So helping someone restore their gait, like their walking pattern or arm movements, um, or someone with Parkinson's, for example, right. Using, Mm. using rhythm to provide, um, neurological rehearsal so that it's easier for somebody to walk, for example, Interesting. that's physical, mental. We're talking like decision-making, cognitive processes, academic, like we've all used mnemonic devices and music in school to learn things academically, emotionally to help, um, become aware of our emotions, to help express our emotions, um, to help a person move from depression or anxiety into what feels like a, a better state. Um, what else socially just to help people interact and connect more Mm -hmm. and spiritually can, can provide meaning or a a sense of, um, again, connection, but to divine or something greater. Nice. Okay. Just a few really brief examples. (laughs) That, that put, that puts a whole different scope, uh, scope for me on, on what, what music therapy could be. The neat um, thing about it is that it's very, we utilize music as the vessel, but it is very rarely the focus of the, of our goals. Okay. We're not usually focusing on developing musical skill within right. music therapy, though it can be helpful. But it, it's, 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 but it's more not the, usually the focus. So when, when you say musical skill, you're, you mean not specifically playing a hand drum or not specifically learning the piano or learning, well, learning an instrument. So we can use the instrument, but the focus is not on a developing ability for people. Definitely music therapists are skilled musicians, skilled mm-hmm. clinicians. There's years of, so it's a four-year degree program at minimum. Okay. So we do go through the first two years of music generally like every other music student. And then we specialize in the last two years. So having... Um, a good amount of musical skill is a very important quality to a music therapist. But in terms of the people that we work with, musical skill is not required. And though we do utilize drums or shakers or other instruments, the idea is that we're not teaching people like we're not getting detailed about technique Mm -hmm. except for where technique can be useful for these other non-musical goals. Right. So if it will help them express their emotions better, then sure. We'll give them a little, a sense of, of, you know, a little lesson or maybe hold it like this or try, Oh, that sounds better if you hold it like this or, but it's not the idea of perfecting a certain technique. So I often say it's process driven. So the meaning is in the making of the music. It's not about, creating an end product or providing the ability to, to do a performance or that kind of thing. Right. Right. So then is it, most of my questions are coming from like pre 
conceived notions. Yeah, cool. I can't believe I came up with that, that was proper great. term. <laughs> I, saw that. I saw the word floating there. It's like, here it comes. <laughs> uh, so so most, of, most of my questions are coming from these preconceived notions that music therapy is a listening experience for the mm. client rather than a engagement mm-hmm. experience. Um, is there still a listening component or is it, is it mostly the engagement process that, that you focus on or, or is it not that, not well, that simple? <laughs> I hear what you're, yeah. Um, we usually call it, um, listening or, um, what do we usually call it? Active or passive is one way to describe okay. it. Right. Or, um, but I hear what you're saying, like listening versus being active in making listening or making, right. Or responding right. or making. Um, so there still is, even in listening, there's an interactive component to it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Fair enough. Yeah. But I hear what you, I know what you're asking and yeah, definitely there are, um, there are activities, I guess I'll say with my air quotes, but there are things that I can engage in with a client that involve them receiving or being a little more quote unquote passive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the best word because they're not just sort of lying there and receiving it, but, <laughs> but yeah, being more receptive mm-hmm. as opposed to being more active in the music making. And that depends on them often, like their desire to, you know, to play an instrument or to sing with me or just sing on their own or to write something. Um, or, you know, if, for example, I'm working also in palliative care, sometimes people are not, they don't have the ability anymore or they don't have the strength Mm -hmm. or, or the energy to engage very much beyond the the reception. And so, yeah, a lot of what I do can, can involve, you know, playing for people or, um, you know, creating playlists, helping people create playlists for them to utilize, especially when I'm not there can right. be a very useful thing to do. Cause I unfortunately can't be with clients 24 seven and, and music can be useful for more than the hour or half an hour that I would spend with them. And um, there definitely is a receptive component for sure. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but how much, again, I feel like I've answered my own question. How much mm-hmm. I was going to, I was going to ask how much, how much is, passive and how much mm-hmm. is interactive depends <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the answer that popped into my head <laughs> uh yeah yeah um i like to and i think most music therapists like to work towards um creating as much interaction as possible so even if it is receptive you know it's all about giving clients choice and then and then after there's some listening then perhaps engaging in discussion about what has been heard or what has, what the music means or what images came up or, um, so it, it very much is about interaction, even though there is a receptive component. Okay. How much, and again, this is all the preconceived notions we're trying to break PCNs. them down. Is that what they are? I don't know. All right. <laughs> You're making something up. <laughs> this is this is the problem with with educated people that that, that have a sense of humor. <laughs> they just come and play with me, play with my mind. <laughs> we can call them PCNs. <laughs> yeah, right. games. That's not hard to do. <laughs> That's true. That's true. 
That's why I like my little, my small little world. I'm in control of it. I can protect myself from the mockery. Okay. So, damn. Do you remember where I was going? Either of you remember where I was? I have no idea where you were going. I distracted you. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay. I remember for a change. got it. Most of the time I don't and we go somewhere else. Um, Okay. So, one of the preconceived notions that I had, Mm -hmm. your PCNs. Um, was the use of music for coma patients or from non-responsive patients, um, to stimulate, to stimulate memory or to stimulate, um, memory associated with, um, certain motor skills and, and creating, uh, almost like a, like a, not a development process, but a reenactment or a reengagement process with, with that set of memories or that set of motor skills and using, using music to stimulate the brain, which stimulates other parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, how much, again, I just answered my question. How much is that? Uh, Is that, is that part of it? Sure. Um, I would say that um, at the university hospital, University of Alberta hospital, where I do part of my work, I do end up in neurology departments fairly frequently. So there are a couple of them and then there's a neurological ICU. And um, I don't know that I work with patients in, in a coma that like maybe 5% of the people that I see. Um, and that could simply be because at, at a hospital, there's often an interaction between, um, staff's knowledge or education about what is useful and possible Mm. and where to utilize my skills. Um, however, um, what I'm trying to say is that I don't end up spending a ton of time with people who are in a coma. However, um, there have been, I have interacted with them. Um, and there definitely are, you know, there's evidence that it can be useful and that we, the thing about music is that we can't shut our ears off. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we can close our eyes and that kind of thing, but there's still often, um, sensory input coming in through our ears that can stimulate the brain. And so I actually worked with a gentleman, uh, well after he was actually in the hospital, not from, his head injury, but I worked with him later Mm. after he'd sustained a head injury up in um, Fort McMurray. And he tells a story about how, you know, he loves country music. And the reason he loves country music is he had sustained a head injury and was in a coma for three months and they played him country music the whole freaking time. (laughs) So he (laughs) kind of awoke knowing a lot of these songs. Interesting. And like so, and literally, like, I would be like flip, flipping through my binder or looking for the words and he would just sort of sing them. <laughs> nice. So there's definitely evidence of, and one of my colleagues there has, has played while a person woke up from a coma. So definitely okay. can be useful. Um, I work a lot with people who have sustained brain injury, head injury and, um, or stroke. And so using music neurologically again to recover, skills, speech, especially, um, to recover memory 
And as I mentioned earlier, just recovering, you know, gait and the ability to move. Music can be um, a great way to rehearse and 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 prepare the brain for movement, right. whether it's speech movement or limb movement, because the sensory and the motor parts of the brain are like neighbors, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's tend to where that's tends to be where I end up working is with patients who are who are conscious but have sustained brain injury. And so you're almost, there's almost a lot of crossover with you and the physiotherapist. There can be speech therapists as well. Oh, speech therapist, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do get a lot of referrals from speech therapists. Um, in a, you worked in the university hospital, so you know mm. it's a large hospital. And so it's a matter of meeting people and getting to know and educating people that I'm there. And then that's when the referrals start to happen Mm -hmm. more so. But um, at the Great Nuns Hospital, where I'm in the palliative care unit just for this year, covering covering a mat leave, there's an interdisciplinary team there. So I do, I wouldn't say that we've actually done sessions together, but we do share information about patients. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, you know, um, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, there's a psychologist and social worker and spiritual care. So there's a whole team of us working together for patient wellness. Right. Cool. Um, Do you have any questions before I dive in? I don't, I don't usually let him talk in these My things. My microphone's kind of angled towards you. Anyways, I we feel can, like uh, I want to just like scan the room while I'm talking. <laughs> so I don't currently have any questions. No. no. Okay. Okay. I usually end up, end up just like not letting him talk, not letting him get a word in. So unless uh, they're jabs. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, I I make sure to get you make those sure. in. He's he's got those prepared for weeks in advance, <laughs> like waiting to interject. Yeah. I wish I put that much thought into. That. <laughs> <laughs> Already got November's list. I'm gonna hit him with these. It's gonna be great. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, um, but no. Okay, so I want to take this a little into the into the technical side of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, from your perspective, as you go in to a client, what, and I, and, and I know the, the actual tools you would use would change on a client by client basis based on, based on your assessment and their needs, but what, what are the standard tools that you would go into a, uh, into like meeting a new client uh, what are the standard tools you would take with you or you would have with you that you would, that, that you would have available to mm-hmm. use? Like immediately. So I can tell you what's on my music carts. Yeah. I have music carts. <laughs> <laughs> so is this like, there's like a shopping cart? <laughs> yeah. I think it used to be, I think, you know, janitorial services used to use them or something. Like oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> old gray plastic um, thing. Well, there's sort of, yeah. Sort I mean, of. they ha- they have multi levels, and yeah, mm. so they're slightly different at each hospital. But yeah, right. Anyways, so um, I have my guitar. Okay. Um, I have a plethora of song binders. So typically, so for me, it's the binders have words and chords 
like for my okay. for my guitar and for the voice. And so I have them sectioned off by by era slash genre. So I have okay. you know like oldies and I have um, country, of course, because we're, we're in Alberta. Let's face it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of a lot of country requests. So, yeah. anyways, um, and then there's religious slash spiritual music that can okay. be really important for people. And then there's things like the folk, and then there's sort of the '70s genre, and then there's everything that's sort of newer than that, like the '80s and and that kind of thing. 90s right. and 2000s and all that kind of thing. So how thick is that binder? So they're really, <laughs> you know, they're t- there's I've got about six two-inch binders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, um, I have also an iPad, which can be useful mm. if, you know, often people will have specific requests too. So it's, again, it's not all about fulfilling. It's not like being, a, we sometimes joke about being a walking jukebox and that's not <laughs> the point necessarily, but the point is to provide a point of connection. And so, mm-hmm. and this ties in, I'm going to tangent a little bit here from the things that are on my cart since we like to tangent, yes. but this idea that we can utilize what's often called um, universal principles of music to connect with people. So those are things like the way um, a steady tempoed song at 60 beats per minute with a rep- repetitive melody and um, not a lot of change would over time have a relaxing effect for most people. That's kind of, that's a universal yeah. property for most people. Tied to, tied to their heart rate. Yes. Right. Yep. Right. But so it's music elements utilized in certain ways tend to have a certain response or tend to, tend to evoke certain responses in people. Like, okay. you know, think, for example, a song's going along and suddenly there's like a, a big, most people will have a, uh, they'll a have start. a startle response. Yeah. Okay. So there's universal, but those are two very crude examples of usable <laughs> universal <laughs> yeah. principles of music. Cool. But okay. then there's also the individual aspect, right? So we connect through these individual or these universal principles, but then also needing to pay attention to what, ch- what each person's preference is. So even if I had a piece of music that was set totally properly in terms of its tempo and its form and all that kind of stuff, but the person hated the sound of the instrument that it was being played on, it probably wouldn't really have a mm-hmm. have a relaxing effect like maybe a little bit but not as much if they really liked or if the instrument re- reminded them of something really sad or or sure. if they knew the song and it was some, reminded them of something awful right so yeah. that wouldn't really be relaxing so this is an individual aspect <laughs> of music so we utilize a combination of the two or just knowledge of the universal effects, but also getting to know and, and observe too. Like sometimes it's just through watching body language and facial expressions or emotion. And, um, cause sometimes people don't feel right to express emotion or something mm. like music can trigger deep emotions. And that's part of what I'm there to do. And I always say better out than in, you know, like that's part of the healing process for me. Right. Um, but sometimes people can feel like embarrassed or they can feel like I'm not supposed to be doing this. I should be dumping this on you and they don't totally get. So to allow that space to, to watch that this is actually okay. You don't have to stop that and we can go into that. And that part of that comes through just observing their body language. And if they're trying to hold something back, just finding ways to encourage that to come out anyways so there's those two things so that's the reason for all the, the binder with all the songs is to okay. attempt to find a place to to connect on that individual basis with people and especially in a hospital finding a piece of familiarity can be extremely therapeutic 
So a favorite song or a piece of music that reminds them of a better time or a happier time or can be uplifting for somebody. Right. So there's the songbooks, there's uh, my guitar. I have a bunch of rhythm instruments. um, So some shakers, maracas. I have, um, I can't remember what they're called, the shape drums now. So they're just basically like... They're not actually drums. They're just sort of like a membrane in a circle at different sizes. And the reason I have them and all the instruments that I have are easily disinfectable because the hospital environment requires that. (laughs) So all of the instruments that I have are um, easy to disinfect, but also relatively easy easy to access. So rhythmic, mm-hmm. rhythmic instruments. Easy for someone to pick up and hold. Mm-hmm. If they or... want to participate right. and be part of the, the music making. I also often will have an, you know, an interesting, like I've got a little mini harmonium. Are you familiar with a harmonium? Is an, it's actually an Indian instrument. It's kind of like an accordion. It's a cross oh, between an accordion yeah. and, and an organ. So it's actually, it's a keyboard instrument, but it's played with one hand, the other hand, I pump it. It basically creates a sustained kind of droney sound and it can be useful for relaxation. I can just kind of like hold a note and kind of chord and we can do some improvisation. It's really great to help people just relax. Or for some people, it reminds them of the accordion. And then we do like a little oompa kind of thing and and it can be (laughs) a great thing. That shouldn't make me laugh, but so those are I mean, those are typical things that I have with, with me when I go into a room. Cool. Okay. Is that what you're asking in terms of tools? It, it yeah. is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well and, and and again, one of those PCNs that I had in my head mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. Um was I expected some form of recorded music to be mm-hmm. to be, you know, close to the top of the list. Mm-hmm. But it isn't even on your cart. Like it you is even... there. I have my I have the iPad. So I have access oh, to it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this noth- is showing my age mm-hmm. that I don't consider right. that a music listening device. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you do use that to to play something. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the little bit of the, the tech geek mm-hmm. in me, and Joey, you can contradict me on this because um, I know you probably will, but. Okay. I'm just trying to create controversy. Drama is good radio, right? <laughs> um, the idea of listening to something on 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 a small device like an iPad mm-hmm. or a small device like a phone or or something like that. Those devices are sonically not very mm-hmm. not very pleasing. Mm-hmm. And short of the human voice, I would probably find them very tedious to listen to. Uh, I know what. Um, if I have to listen to music on my phone, I find it, you know, it's hard to listen to mm-hmm. more than a couple songs before I'm, I'm not agitated, but I'm dissatisfied. And is, it's a great point. Is that something, mm-hmm. something that comes up like, like the, those missing sonics mm-hmm. of a song that are even just naturally there mm-hmm. coming out of the human voice or out of your guitar or out of, mm. out of an, a real live egg shaker uh, that don't translate out of a small speaker device. Do you find that that's something that, like, do you, do you find yourself staying away from your iPad in situations or? Um, yes, yes. And I mean, okay. you touch on a lot of 
great point. So along with the iPad, I do have speakers, but you're right. It sort of isn't the first thing I will go to. Right. I don't go. So f- tell me what your favorite. I will. My, <laughs> my attempt is to make a personal connection right. for that purpose. It's about connecting. And in music therapies, there, there's the, ther- it's not just the music, it's the therapy component. And some, there are many philosophies to music therapy <laughs> and I won't dive into them all, but one of them is that the, the therapeutic um, change is affected through the relationship and that the music is simply, simply air quotes again, right. the container okay. or the vessel that allows that relationship to happen. Right. So it's about the relating. And so, yeah, I, I am a huge fan of live music, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially in a therapeutic context for the things that you already mentioned, the sonics, the vibrational or the three dimensional aspect of, right of a live instrument or a live voice versus a speaker. Little tiny. Right. Yeah. yeah that sort of is, has you know, limited in its directionality. Um, and then there's the whole piece of adaptability and flexibility is being so important. So part of my training in music therapy was largely improvisation based. Okay. So the idea of being able to meet and match a client where they're at is significant, be it their tempo, their mood, their, um, their state, be able to reflect that in the music. And unfortunately, pre-recorded music doesn't just does not have that ability. No ability to adapt at all. Right. It can provide stability. It can provide familiarity. It can provide, um, multi instruments that one musician, <laughs> unless play. you're an amazing techie with a, you know, like a massive <laughs> electronic system. Right. Yeah. So there are definitely advantages and there are, um, there is something to some of the, like, especially working with seniors, like, um, some of the iconic voices like the Frank Sinatra's and, Um, the Ray Charles's and so playing certain songs by certain artists or the Johnny Cash's right can actually have therapeutic value simply because of that you know the the familiarity or I don't even know exactly all the reasons behind it but it can help uh, a patient in that moment however the live music component is so beneficial and there's been studies done and all that kind of stuff. And that's what I'm very interested in that in this new electronic age of music, right? It's like, no, live music is really important for our health. This is, <laughs> this is going to fit in, I think, really well with the point of the podcast. Is oh, cool. <laughs> this, this study about live music being important to mm-hmm. our health. Mm-hmm. How? Hmm. (laughs) well okay so i mean i'm not i'm not yet the 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 person that can whip out a a million studies um but i do know and one of the areas that interests me is work um in um like premature babies that have been born prematurely so in in NICUs it's called like right so neonatal icus right and so they have done quite a bit of study around the use of of live music, live voice, and the importance of live voice, especially in supporting parents to sing lullabies to their children and the therapist you know, singing to um, to the infant in that, especially in that state, it's really important. Um, often the heart rate is through the roof and stress levels through the roof and babies aren't feeding, but introduce live instruments and heart rate starts to go down. Um, breath starts to deepen feeding rates start to go up type thing. Interesting. So, yeah. And so is that all, is, is that because of the same concept that you were saying before 
the 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 rhythmicness of it the is it the i'm assuming mm. in this case you're talking about about a like a, a mother singing to her child type of thing so is it that 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 vibration mm. can, the feeling or the or just the, the the sound of the parents' voice singing a lullaby, for example, that. is is by nature of the lullabies, they're always soothing, and and it's pretty rare that that even a stressed out parent wouldn't quickly be be calmed a bit themselves as they sing the lullaby, and therefore translating that that calmness, calmness. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Although at the moment I say that, I can think of one father that would never be able to make it through singing a song in any sort of calm manner. But um, no. <laughs> uh, if it was for the health of their child, maybe. Uh, well, maybe, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm no, pretty sure okay. that would just make him stress out more. <laughs> there you go. His wife is That's a, the music therapist to me looking for the positive. <laughs> That's the thing. Well, and, and, and me looking for the positive in, in his situation would be, would be his wife is far more calm. Come here and let's replace the two of you. Excellent. <laughs> Actually, he was a he was a mm-hmm. uh, uh, father of twins. Mm-hmm. Um, he and he and his wife were both late, mm-hmm. uh, later in years than than would be ideal, um, and lots of problems surrounding it. But uh, she makes way more money than him, and so they agreed that they would split the maternity time, the the maternity paternity. I don't even know if, what the what the with the gender neutral, oh yeah, gender neutral term, yeah, like, hmm. um, like she it's took. Gotta be now. Hey? I think she took six months, and then he took six mm-hmm. months, um, and and he was such a massive ball of uselessness the first, I want to say, two months, until, he, and and he he'd used he'd used a combination of, of, of music that he would that he would play because he. He loves the radio, and so he mm-hmm. would play soothing radio stations, and it would help calm the twins, and it would help calm him. But it was such a long transition time that, you know, once he calmed down, I wasn't getting phone calls anymore. <laughs> but when things were at their peak, it was James. I can't get a hold of the wife. What do I do? Ah! Crying fits with the kids. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's a. Tangent. That'd be an example of meeting them, meeting the kids where they're at. <laughs> I have, yeah, yeah, maybe. Right? I know, I know a music therapist that works with kids and she often talks about when, at one point she, you know, that's one of the things she did is she got down on the floor with her client and, you know, screamed with him. And through doing that, you can actually understand Connects. better, you yeah. connect and then, oh, he's actually feeling vibrations in his head. And that's maybe part of what's going on here. And oh, that's right. what this is about. And It's amazing. It's amazing how few people make that intuitive connection mm-hmm. or that maybe unintuitive connection to this person that I'm trying to understand. I need to bring myself to where they are mm-hmm. or I'm never going to understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember meeting a, he was really deep into the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. This, this kid, he would have been 15 maybe. 
Um, and I'd met him in a retail store and his mom was stressing out, pushing his wheelchair because he was also wheelchair bound for whatever reason. But they were looking for something and it was November-ish, so I assume it was a Christmas thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and she was really stressing out and I'd, I'd had a lot, of, a lot of experience dealing with I've used so many slang terms for this, trying to think of a nice one. Um, the disadvantaged children mm-hmm. w- that, you know, that, and especially the parents that struggle and fail so much when the, when the child is more than they can, more than they have the skills to cope with. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I, I saw this woman having just a terrible time and I touched her on the elbow and I asked what, you know, if there's anything I can help with, because it's a busy store, it's a big store. And I'm, you know, at the time, this was, this must have been 10 years ago. I had nothing to do. <laughs> and so it was, it was really easy for me to say, mm-hmm. I have an opportunity to help someone. And she says, well, he, my son is looking for blah, whatever it was. I don't have any memory of what it was. So I get down on a knee so that I can be at the same visual level as him because he's sitting in a wheelchair. And you can just, like autistic kids do, and I assume autistic adults, but I've never really dealt with them. When you, when you get down to their level in a, in a non-threatening way, they tend, to, they tend to get a little bit of extra life to them. Um, and... and kind of came alive and he did his best to communicate what he was looking at and mom would translate, but I didn't really, I, mean, I would listen to her, but I didn't really communicate to her. I was, you know, I'm mm-hmm. trying to engage with the kid. And then I hear her start crying. I'm like, I did, what did I do? <laughs> but I'm still trying to just communicate with the kid and she's still translating and, and, you know, whatever it was that he was looking for was something really simple. And I think, you know, I, I, I must have passed it earlier in my wandering around the store. And I took them there. I helped them find it. I helped them get to the counter and get out. And as, as I'm walking her out, uh, at that point, the kid had his thing in his lap and he was pretty happy. So I was trying to calm her. Um, it turned out she was, she was crying because no one had ever gotten down and just talked to him. Mm-hmm. And even though she was involved because she was, she had to translate, um, she was just so overwhelmed that someone would just kneel down and look him in the eye, hmm. you know? And, and, and it's amazing how like that same concept, I try to, I try to bring as much of that to, to the studio because musicians are, especially when they're in the moment of their art, they're so overwhelmingly sensitive oftentimes. And so you have to be able to, or at least I feel like I have to be able to be in the same space as them for them to know that they can trust me, that, that I'm here to achieve what they are or achieve the same thing that they are. And it, it always surprises me. I'm joy. I feel like you and I have had this conversation before, but I have this conversation with a lot of my students. It always surprises me the look on their face 
when they see me do that for the first time, you know, like James, why did you get up out of your chair and go sit down in front of the guy playing his guitar, sitting on a stool? Why couldn't you just talk to him, say those exact same things through the microphone, through the, through the intercom, you know? And I'm like, what's, it's all about, it's all about reaching out to that person in the mm -hmm. way they need in their level, in their space so that they can, they can develop that trust. They can, and I'm, I feel like I'm walking all over a question that I want to ask, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but how do you, so I'm just going to jump right into it. How do you, <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier that, that you don't get often much time with, with each client. Sometimes it might only be an hour mm -hmm. or so. How do you, how do you achieve a connection so quickly? Because hmm. that, that to me sounds, especially for the goals that you're trying to achieve or, or the, or the goals that the, the interdisciplinary team is trying to achieve. That seems like such a small window for, for expecting any results. And so my, my instinct would be to not expect results, but that would be foolish otherwise, because then you probably wouldn't have yeah. the job satisfaction that you do. So <laughs> how is, you know, Okay, so <laughs> answer that <laughs> depends. And <laughs> uh, there's something really powerful to uh, simply being witnessed by another person and then in being witnessed and acknowledged as you've sort of described mm. through um, some way reflecting, be it the level that they're at or um, the energy level that they're at or... Um, you know, the pain or the, the joy in some way, being able to reflect that back, be it through words, but through gesture, through, through sound can be extremely powerful to people. And like you said, it can help people feel, um, in sync. And there, you know, it's actually a piece that we, it's a technique kind of that we, we talk <laughs> about in music therapy kind of, I mean, there's various techniques, but this whole idea of, um, in training with somebody. So it's, um, you come in and, um, you know, somebody's agitated. Sometimes the, the, I want to say the intuitive response is like, Oh, they're agitated. Play them calming music. And not always, yeah. maybe, maybe for some people. And some of it is kind of trial and error. You try something and it's ab about observing too, right? To, right. Sort of, to sort of partially answer your question is noticing what is the person's body language? What is the room like? What is the sounds like in the room? How, what's the level of their, you know, the dynamic of their voice? What, what are they telling me in these nonverbal things? What are they telling me verbally when I ask them questions about themselves, about their preferences? How much do they talk? How little do they talk? You know, in, involving them in being able to make choices or not. Um, and then, um, so sometimes what's called the allopathic method. So someone's anxious, provide them relaxing music sometimes will be useful over time, but more often than not, we'll end up doing something that I'm calling the homeopathic method or sometimes called the ISO principle to throw out a technical <laughs> term, but is providing a musical environment or um, a, some sort of environment that meets them in that 
busyness or that of the anxiety. So providing music that's maybe a little bit, you know, up tempo or maybe like a hundred BPMs or something like that. And, or like something that would kind of meet them there. And then ideally, and these are all ideals, it doesn't always happen. (laughs) It's not always as beautiful, but it often is. It it often Mm. does surprise me how quote unquote quickly and easily it can be to connect with somebody. Um, given their willingness to is another, another piece to it as well. But so, um, you know, doing this upbeat thing and there's, you know, the ice principle happening, then, then there can be in syncness happening in train it's called. And then from that place, if I begin to alter the music, I can kind of sometimes bring them with me. Okay. So in, in creating music that reflects where they're at, it, it, unconsciously, I guess, or subconsciously, or it's basically creating acknowledgement for them or creating a sense of, I see you, I hear you, I witness you as you are. There's nothing to change, really. I'm not going to come in and try and, you know, poke you with needles or all these kind of things that are so necessary. <laughs> but um, but sometimes coming from a perspective of what's wrong with you, how can I fix you as opposed to like, where are you at? Where do you want to be? Okay, let's, where you're at is great. Let's be where you're at for a while. And then, then maybe we'll go over here for a little while and see if that feels better. And it very much is. And luckily I'm working often with adults that are right now I'm working with adults that are mostly verbal in a hospital setting. And so I can receive feedback in different ways. I can receive verbal feedback. It's not always the case with some of the people that I work with. Um, But there's many ways to receive feedback and to figure out how to, how to facilitate a connection. But another piece that I kind of tr- threw in there was, is the other person, you know, they've got to be yeah. receptive to it too, to a certain extent. So how do, if you have, if you have a, a patient or a client that is not initially receptive or, or has some sort of, some sort of barrier to what you are coming in with, mm-hmm. how do you work around that? Obviously you get can't creative just get, and <laughs> <laughs> get creative and try, you know, different things, try different styles, try, um, sometimes I'll put down the music altogether. Hmm. Sometimes I won't, you know, I, I will take space and I won't, I'll, I'll, um, you know, in the palliative care setting, sometimes we have patients there for months and months. And so, um, sometimes I have the ability to not go to them and wait for them to see me in the hallway or wait for them to create the opening as right. opposed to me going to them. Um, yeah, again, it's hard to give a definitive answer, but my, my answer is get creative and try different things. Ask other people. Right. And, and again, it's like, I can't force somebody, you I know, suppose, if they, yeah. if they don't want it, if they're, if they don't understand, if they don't not open, then that's that too. But I can continue to offer or continue to just hold the intention that maybe be open to the possibility if they become open. Right. Right. And then if, I guess with, with, with all the limited time that you have, mm-hmm. do you have, do you often have opportunities to, or even seldomly have opportunities to go to go back to clients that weren't open and try again? Um, or do you have, do you really have s- such a big patient load that you might not always have the opportunity to go back and, and try again with someone? Hmm. Uh, in both of the hospital situations, 
um, and again, the hospital is kind of a unique situation. Again, I need to say that because sometimes <laughs> in music therapy, we're working in schools with um, children. Um, and so there's lots of opportunity to try again and try again the next week and try again the next week and try again. Um, so that's the music therapy is kind of built into their structure. Right. Um, whereas in the hospital, there is a bit of more choice, as you're indicating, right, in terms mm. of my own choice, <laughs> right, <laughs> okay. who, who I go to and who I don't go to. And, and so that's a valid question. Um, and what I was going to say to that too, is that in both hospitals, I do have, it's not just me. Yeah. I'm lucky at the U of A, there's a, a team of other artists. Okay. So, and, and there's also, there's other, like there's spiritual care. There's all kinds of people that I can also make a referral to. Right. And that's typically what I will do. And I'll be, I'll say like, you know, this person has been referred to me and I'm not sure if, because music's not always appropriate for everybody is the other thing. And there are assumptions that can be made from really well-meaning staff that, oh, it's just, this is a, an elderly person with dementia. This is a kid with autism, right? There's all this, all the words out about, you know, how autism and music just go hand in hand and it, it can, but not always, right? right? So it isn't always appropriate. And so maybe um, somebody else, like the literary artist, or maybe he just wants to get up and walk around a little, maybe the physical therapist would be more appropriate. And so it's just trying to find other ways to create connection with people. And, and it, sometimes that is, like I was saying, I touched on this, but sometimes it does mean putting down the instrument for a while and just, just <laughs> talking to somebody, <laughs> right? But presence, it's about being present. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's, that's half the battle for, for so many things mm-hmm. is, and I, I imagine, especially if someone in a hospital, they've been ripped out of their, their situation. They're in a place that as comforting as they try to make it, it's still a hospital. It's still, it's still. If I could come back as, as somebody foreign. else, I would come back as a hospital administrator that could like change, had millions of dollars <laughs> and I could change the acoustic envir- environments of the hospital. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. <laughs> always so noisy. One of the, so, well, yeah. yeah. One of the number one cl- complaints is just inability to sleep for a whole variety of reasons. Mm. But anyways, that's another tangent about sound and silence actually. <laughs> we would appreciate that. Dive into that. <laughs> well, um, since I guess the 60s, the the bass acoustic level, I can't remember how much, but it's increased dramatically. Like mm-hmm. the, the volume level on a hospital unit has increased dramatically. And just from the machines rolling around to like uh, the beeping to unfortunately, you know, the lack of space. So there's often people are often sharing, sharing, sharing rooms, rooms with people yeah. and people going through all kinds of different you know, procedures at all kinds of different times and hours. And it's just, and unfortunately I would say a lot of acoustically, um, the hospitals are not often well built, you know, like sound really carries and, right. um, interestingly, in- interestingly enough, <laughs> <laughs> voila, um, the idea is not to eliminate sound completely from, uh, and this is another area that I'm really interested in maybe studying more about, but it's like, um, the idea of either having, I don't know, musical or noise canceling devices around that create a certain, like a, a, a minimum or sound mm-hmm. devices yeah. that create some white noise. Um, the one study I read talked about the decibel level seemed fairly high. In my opinion, it seemed kind of loud what they were talking about. The recommended level, I think 43 or something like that. And I was like, that's, that's that is pretty quiet cool. though. Okay. Anyways. 
It's it seemed it seemed loud to me, but well, but the idea is that then when you make a little sound, when everything's silent, as you might know, if you go to like this uh, nature park and you're at a lake and you can yeah. hear things from a long distance away, but the idea is then to create sort of some white noise, so that then sounds don't stand out as much, right? And or create. Uh, more insulation between rooms would be another thing I would do. That'd too. be nice. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I mean, sleep is so, it's so vital. It seems so basic to well, me. What's the... Um, in the hospital. You were talking about the, the like the, the, the noise volume mm-hmm. in a hospital has increased in how many years, but uh-huh. do, you, do you have numbers of those? Not off the top Not of my head, of but... Um, oh. I wish I'd come in prepared with it, but um, uh, myself and my colleague, we do a presentation about it. I just can't think of what it is right now, <laughs> but it's, it has increased significantly and this impacts not just patients, but also mm. staff yeah. and staff's ability to retain information about patients. Um, and one of the theories is that the constant beeping of the bells creates a sense of desensitization and overwhelm in staff. Right. And that if we could divide, devise a better system, one that wasn't auditory like that, that it would probably be better for everybody. And that's what I would love to see. <laughs> <laughs> that would turn into like vibrating pagers yeah. that, that, that would just like startle people. Or devices time. or um, there are hospitals that are starting to have not one central nursing station, but, you know, nursing desks near to patient rooms. Right. Um, my colleague and I at, at the UAA, we joke often, like we can walk into a room and if there's a, if there's a machine beeping, we'll find the key and like just improvise in the key, which can help mask the sound, which does something while we're there. Yeah. But well, and, and it's funny you mentioned that you were, you were talking about something earlier and that actually, that actually crossed my mind. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, it, it was, it was the, uh, finding, finding the right tempo to, mm-hmm. to, 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 match the yes. client yep. and then to bring them down. And my thought was, if, well, if, if the heart monitor's going, then mm-hmm. you're going to, like, you got a tempo to start with. You can, yep, <laughs> right? it's absolutely. Like, it's like having a built-in metronome. Or breath. So oh, yeah. when you mention patients in a coma, that's often how I will, or patients who are near, very near death, yeah. um, I, I will often play in sync with following their breath, essentially. Right. And it said to it, and it is. It's it can have a, a deeply calming effect, very grounding, very rooting effect. Right. Um, morbid question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> have you, um, having worked in palliative care for a while now, about a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you um, have you been there playing as someone's died? Yes. Actually. Um, before I got into palliative care, one of my first introductions into the field of music therapy was playing while my granny passed away. Oh. Yeah. How, oh, so, so what was that experience like? Obviously it very was sad. not but... in the moment, surprisingly. Oh, really? It was uber cool while it was going on. Um, you know, my, my granny had been ill for a while and my mom was her primary caregiver for years and she was in you know, the last couple of days. And so I got called, I was in Calgary at the time, so I got called up and um it's just so happened as it te- it can happen like mom stepped away for a little bit and my dad was on one side of granny I was on the other and I brought up my guitar and started playing you know d- improvising to her breath right and then I started to play Danny's Danny boy okay. and um which had been an, an important song to her throughout her life and and then she just sort of exhaled and kept exhaling 
just kind of breathed out and went. And then dad was like, go granny, go granny. Like kind of like, go, go. <laughs> and I just kept playing. And I remember I was thinking like, wow, I should feel sad, but I don't because this mm-hmm. is really cool. It was afterwards that I felt sad for sure. But in that moment, it was really, it had an impact on me for sure. Nice. And since then, yeah, I've, I've, ha- I've had the, the opportunity to play for um, only a couple people as they passed and one woman at the U of A while they removed her off of life support. Okay. Um, similar sensations or is it, is it largely different because you don't know them as, or uh, don't know uh, it's, them as well? It's for me, it, it all, they've always felt very sacred. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to say it any differently. It just, I, I didn't, um, things would happen. Like I, when I was playing for the woman who was taking off life support, yeah. I suddenly stopped okay. for no reason. And it was, I found out afterwards was when she'd stopped breathing. Right. So not sad, but just interesting, I guess. Nice. Cool. <laughs> well, that, that's a morbid, great way to end, I guess. But, um, pre-Halloween. Sparrowgracemusic.com. on Twitter. At two bodies of water. You got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. At Joey R. Engineer. I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.